Evan Perez is in Washington tonight. So, Evan, you watched this DOJ hearing very closely today when the judge set the trial date for March 4th, 2024. What else did we learn? Well, we learned that there was a, a lot of uh, discovery that has already been turned over from uh, the prosecution to the defense. And that's one of the reasons why uh, John Laurel, the, the former president's lawyer, stood up in court and, and gave a really uh, strenuous and, and impassioned plea for the judge to just give them more time. Of course, they're asking for two years to prepare for this trial. The judge was not buying any of that. She said uh, one of the things that, th that he was raising, obviously, was the fact that the former president is running for office. He's got three other indictments. And let me just read you just a part of what she said. She said, setting a trial date does not depend and should not depend on the defendant's personal or professional obligations. She compared it to, uh, you know, a, a sports star who uh, was going to be on trial. And she said, we don't get to, uh, you know, deal with the fact that they have to go play uh, as part of the reasons why you set the trial date. That doesn't work that way. Now, uh, the former president uh, will now have to set, sit for a trial uh, beginning on March 4th, which, as you pointed out, is day before Super Tuesday. That means he's going to be sitting in court, Erica, during the time that uh, you normally have candidates out on the campaign trail, right? Uh, meeting uh, people at uh, cookhouse and kissing babies. That's the kind of thing that uh, candidates regularly do. This is not, of course, what this candidate is going to be doing. He's going to be stuck in court, uh, so, uh, certainly at least for the four to six weeks that the prosecution says it'll take to put on this trial. Of course, uh, we expect that the former president is going to try to appeal a whole bunch of things, uh, but this judge has made it clear, Erica, that she does not intend for this trial to wait, certainly, uh, for the 2024 election. She said that the, that the public has a right to have this resolved before then. All right, Evan, Sarah, appreciate the reporting from both of you. Thank you. Out front now, Ryan Goodman, former special counsel at the Department of Defense, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, former prosecutor who worked with special counsel Jack Smith, and Anthony Michael Christ, assistant professor of law at Georgia State University. So, Anthony, you were actually inside that hearing today for Mark Meadows. Um, I mean, just take us into that courtroom. When you saw Mark Meadows there for, I believe, some three and a half hours, was he able to make a good case? Well, he had a very hard time on, um, I, I think, today in trying to make a case. He certainly articulated that, in his view, he had a wide range of activities that fell under his, uh, you know, his obligations as chief of staff. Um, you know, making phone calls, getting contact information, uh, gatekeeping, keeping the president on, on, on schedule. Um, but when the DA's office pushed back, there were a number of very important points that were raised that Meadows really didn't have a very good answer for. So, for example, why did he offer campaign cash um, in order to help the um, you know help Fulton County get a a signature audit moving along? Um, why did he have coordinated efforts with particular campaign officials for the electors scheme or for f setting up this phone call? And finally, I think the big question that was left open ended um, was why didn't he rope in? members of the Department of Justice or the Department of Homeland Security um, on the meetings and the kind of conversations he was having with people um, about events in Georgia if there was a real federal interest involved um, that, that he was you know, pursuing and, and furthering as a, an officer, an agent 
an employee of the federal government. So I think he had a really tough time today. I think Brad Raffensperger made it even tougher when he came into court and basically said that when Brad Raffensperger had the phone call that Mark Meadows set up between him and Donald Trump, that there was no lawful way to change the outcome of the election. So, so I think it was a, it was a pretty tough day. That mm -hmm. said, it's a low threshold for Mark Meadows to show in order to have this removed to federal court. So I don't think we really have any great insight as to what will happen, but I don't think it was a particularly good day for him. Not a particularly good day. I have to say, Karen, most, most attorneys I spoke with last week said to me they would be surprised if he did, in fact, take the stand. So the fact that he did today, how risky do you think that was for him? It's incredibly risky. Most criminal defendants would not testify under oath about the actual facts of the case in an evidentiary hearing that has nothing to do really with your actual trial. I mean, don't forget, he hasn't seen the evidence yet. He hasn't sat through the whole trial. If he were going to testify at his trial, it would be after he saw the government's entire case. He doesn't ever have to testify, but he put all his cards on the table. It was like a Hail Mary, uh, I think, approach to this whole thing. He's putting all eggs in this basket, trying to get the case removed to federal court. And I think because that's step one. Step two then will argue, see, I was just doing my job, and then therefore, the supremacy clause, which is a, a defense that would, would give him immunity from prosecution in state court. It's a higher bar to get to get to that threshold, but this is the first step in that in that entire process and in, in that strategy. And I think that's what he's trying to do. One thing that's that's interesting too, Ryan, you and I have talked about, I know you Aaron, you and Aaron have talked extensively about could Mark Meadows, right, perhaps be working with Jack Smith in a separate investigation. Right. The fact, though, that he took the stand today, the fact that we heard so much of what we did hear from him, that would lend a non-legal scholar like myself to say, doesn't look like he's working with Jack Smith. And you'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does not look like he's fully cooperating or working mm -hmm. with Jack Smith. The reason is, on the stand today, Mark Meadows said, basically, I did nothing wrong. I did everything within the duties of my office. I also thought maybe there was election fraud still that needed to be investigated when we were on the Raffensperger call. If he were truly cooperating with Jack Smith, he would have to admit to wrongdoing. He would have to like almost plead or potentially plead and say, okay, I committed some of these crimes, give me a lower sentence and I'll be your one of your star witnesses or principal witnesses. It does not look like that at all. Jack Smith would never wanna put somebody like that on the stand because then Trump would say, I did everything he did and he said he did everything right. It's fascinating. Anthony, as we, as we look into a little bit more about what we heard today, what stood out to you in terms of the larger case here and specifically the charges against the former president? Well, I, I think it kind of speaks to what uh, you, you were just talking about, which is where is the off-ramp for Mark Meadows? I mean, he certainly has, I think, in some respects, at least arguably, the least amount of culpability of um, many of the, the defendants here, at least patent, uh, you know, or things that might be patently uh, criminal or obviously uh, criminal. So, um, right, does that lead him to a place where he wants to make a deal, uh, where he's more willing or possibly in a better position uh, to, to come to some agreement with Fonnie Willis? Um, but of course, he has a federal case potentially to uh, participate in as well. So I think it's it's really quite, um, you know, it's, it's kind of chaotic at this, at this point in time. But, but I think if Mark Meadows is in a position to make a deal and the DA wants to do that, that could also spell a lot of trouble for Donald Trump. So 
uh, a lot to be seen. Um, but I also think, again, I, I think that Mark Meadows, uh, this is a big threshold question too, because there are other people who want to get into federal court. Mm -hmm. So if Mark Meadows can't get into federal court, it's really unlikely that they will be able to as well. Yeah, absolutely. That'll, that, that was sort of the next question I think we have. When we look quickly at what happened with the DOJ today in terms of setting this trial date, so March 4th, 2024, is what the judge decided on. Uh, Trump's attorney, John Loro, noted for the court record, he believed the trial date will deny President Trump the opportunity to have effective assistance of counsel. That didn't seem to land very well. That being said, it was put out there. It was put out there, and then uh, President Trump himself tweeted that he's going to appeal this. It's, there's nothing to that, um, really. And so if somebody's even a Trump supporter, they should not count on that. That appeal's going nowhere. It's really within the discretion of the judge to set their calendar. And in fact, she is accommodating him to some degree because the DOJ said that they wanted it early January. There was an amicus brief submitted by very mm -hmm. prominent conservative lawyers, including Judge Michael Luddig, um, Alberto Gonzalez, Stuart Gerson, who was acting attorney general in a Republican administration. And they all said the Justice Department's January 4th date was practicable, that she could, in fact, go with that, and she didn't. So the idea this denies him effective counsel. She also said, like, he has some of the best counsel in the country, has huge yeah. resources. That's not an issue here. And, and really quickly, you say this isn't going to happen. In terms of an appeal, I've heard back and forth today, but bottom line, it's a very tough thing to do, Karen, to appeal a court start date. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's not a, it's not an appealable issue. Yeah. I think they'll try to find some other issue to appeal and to try to get into ultimately the Supreme Court, right, to get to the D.C. Circuit and the Supreme Court and then use the use this as, in some way. I don't look, it's hard to it's hard to think like they think because, uh, you know, I don't think like them, and most lawyers don't. But I think they're going to try to find something to appeal that will then slow things down, so that they don't have to, that they don't have to start on that date. Because don't forget, the Supreme Court is highly uh, conservative. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, there are certain things to your point in terms of slowing things down. There are certain playbooks that we are all familiar with, and slowing things down certainly seems to be one of them. Thank you all. Appreciate your insight.